You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Attention turned to Los Angeles. Because while the Rangers may be the best team in baseball, everybody knows who the best player in baseball is. And he is about to make history himself. According to Sports Illustrated, if there's one thing that's not up for debate about the Angels superstar Shohei Otani, it's that he's the most unique player in baseball history. The sport's been around since the 19th century, but approximately nobody in all that time has ever seen a player like Otani, who's proven himself to be one of the most feared hitters in the game and one of the best pitchers in the sport, all on a full-time basis. Not only is Otani the best player in baseball, but he is about to sign the biggest contract ever signed in baseball history. Because you give the best the best. And and while we don't know what team is going to land this superstar yet, maybe the Rangers, um, but it seems this, it seems all but certain that wherever he ends, he will become the highest paid athlete in American sports history. Some team is going to essentially put all of their eggs into Shohei Otani's basket. And the reason is simple. Because you give the best the best. And that's what Jesus was, was getting at, right? When he tells that, that parable about finding a great treasure buried in a field and selling everything that you have just to go out and buy the field and gain the treasure, right? Because in truth, not only do you give the best the best, but for the best, the absolute best, we ought to give it all. And Jesus is saying that when we really know what relationship with God is, when we really consider the glory, the treasure of being known by God, then we would give everything in order to have it. That's why Jesus also tells us that if we want to follow him, we should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Because if following him is best, and I would say that it is, then we should give it our best. We should give it our all. And that's God's critique of the Israelites in the book of Malachi. They had stopped giving him their best. They thought that he would just be satisfied by getting something. But God says that he would rather have nothing than anything less than your very best worship because he is the best. He deserves the best because we always give the best our best. It's why he tells us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength because he wants all of you. And so we're going to look at this critique starting in Malachi chapter 1. We'll read all the way from Malachi 1 to chapter 2, verse 9. So you can turn there in in your Bibles. If you um, picked up one of these Bibles on your way in, you'll find it on page 889. Um, And if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please take one of those with you. They're our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. 
Well, let me start reading for us in Malachi chapter one, verse six. It says, a a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, oh, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you and show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Now, this is a powerful passage, but really only if we 
begin by seeing who we are in the dialogue here. So just notice who God is talking to. He repeatedly tells you that this is addressed to the priest. And you may be thinking, good, that's my way out, right? It's this is for, this is for, this is some pretty serious stuff here. There's some serious commands, serious threats, serious demands. So if that's just for priests, then hey, that's great. But as we, before we step into the passage, I just want to remind you of this. That if you are a follower of Jesus, scripture says you're a priest. All of us. I'm not more of a priest than any of you. The Bible talks about what Martin Luther calls the priesthood of all believers. It's actually always been God's plan, God's desire that it would be this way. So when he rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt, he says to Moses, he says, Moses, here's what I want you to tell them. Tell them that they shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The design of God was that all of Israel would be priests, that all of them would have this direct access to him, that they would worship him in intimacy, but they turned away from him. They turned away from him and began to worship a golden calf, and the only people who repented were the Levites. And so in response to their unrepentant hearts, He didn't cast all of the people off. Instead, he gave them the Levites to serve as priests, to stand between them and God. But now, now Christ has come. The gospel has been preached and only those who repent and believe in Jesus are saved. So do you hear that? Only the repentant, only those who repent are saved and all of those who repent are priest. And that's why in 1 Peter 2, 9, we're told that now, now we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have been given both the title of priest and the responsibility of a priest to proclaim the excellencies of God. And and Revelation 5 agrees. It says that Jesus, by his blood, has taken people from every tribe and language and people and nation and has made us a kingdom of priests to God. And we love that theology. That's some great theology when we we all have equal access to God. That's amazing. Jesus has given us the, the opportunity to walk with boldness into the throne room of God. But we also have the responsibility of being a priest. We're responsible for ministering to others. We're responsible for making sacrifices to the Lord. We're responsible for proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All of us, all who have trusted in Christ, all who are followers of Jesus, all Christians are priests unto God. And that means that this passage in Malachi is specifically talking to all of us. And in essence, what it is saying is this, God is the best. So give him your best. You see that first part there? It says, God is the best. Here's what, 
Here's what our passage says. God says, I'm your father. I'm your master. My name is known around the world. In verse 11, he says that one day, one day my name will be great and worshiped everywhere eternally. And as Philippians tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But even here, even here and now in this passage, God says, I am a great king. I'm the one your ancestors stood in awe of. I'm the one who reigned in peace and in righteousness. And then check this out in verse 11. I mean, check this out. Verse 11 times in this passage, 11 times, 24 times in the book as a whole, God is called the Lord of hosts, meaning that he's the commander of the great armies of angels. Pastor John Piper says that what Malachi wants us to see and feel is that our Father in heaven has infinite authority in the universe. He can, he can wield any and all armies of the earth to accomplish his purposes among the nations, whether they know it or not. And he has myriads of unstoppable angels who do his bidding flawlessly and never fail in their errands. He has appointed every star in the universe its position. He holds them in place and he calls them each and every one of them by name. That is the greatness of our God. In, in Revelation 4, we find these four creatures. It's just called the four living creatures. And they're gathered around the throne of God. And they are wild and powerful and unexplainably amazing creatures. And here's what they do. The scriptures say that day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they say that, this other group of people that they call the 24 elders, they fall down. Every time they say it, they fall down before the throne and they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And I could just keep going on verse after verse after verse talking about the glory of God. Friends, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of all that we are and all that we have. The question is, the accusation of Malachi and the question that we must consider is whether we are offering worthless sacrifices to a worthy God. And here is what Malachi would have us know, that our half-hearted worship is an insult to God. It's a lie to the world and, and it's corrupting and boring us literally to death. God is the best. So give him your best. Okay, but look at what's happening here. N not only are they not offering their best to God, but God says, you're offering up animals that are blind and lame and sick. Even worse, verse 13 says, you're stealing animals and then bringing them over here and offering them to me. You're offering up things that frankly don't cost you anything. They're offering animals that they wouldn't even eat themselves. 
Pastor Micah Fries boils it down to this. If there's no sacrifice in your sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice. Now, the problem really is that they have forgotten who God is. And because he's not great, because he's not great in their estimation, they don't think they need to really offer all that much to him. God, simply put, just wasn't all that important to them anymore. And God points out to them that they would never do such a thing to their governor, that that ruler that's ruling over them from the Persian empire, that oppressive power that rules over them. They have more respect and honor for that guy, for the guy who's oppressing them than they have for God. And so Pastor Micah Fries again makes it personal for us. He says, in modern times, God might have reason to say something like this. You offer your best at work, but you offer less for the work of God. You spend all your time watching college football, but you spend minimal time reading my word. You spend all your time in your hobbies, but you devote little time to to praying and to seeking and to memorizing and to meditating. And then he challenges us and says, let's be through with casual Christianity once and for all. Let's be through with worthless worship and let's be through with selfish service where we just serve God to get what he can give us. And here's the thing. You cannot hide from God. You can fool your husband and you can fool your wife and you can fool your kids and you can fool your coworkers and you can even fool your pastor, but you cannot fool God. You must give him your very best. Truly give him all that you have. Meaningful, heartfelt worship. But these priests, they're, they're a little offended that God's offended by them. And they seem to have, have just deluded themselves into believing that something was better than nothing. And God says, no, no, I'd rather just have nothing than the stuff you're giving me. In verse 10, he says, I just wish somebody would just shut down the whole operation, put out the fire and close the door because I have no pleasure in these fake half-hearted sacrifice. God isn't impressed with you going through the motions at church. He's not impressed with you pretending to pray or just scanning through scripture so that you can say you had a quiet time. He's not impressed. God wants you. He wants real, authentic relationship with you. A relationship that will utterly transform your life. He makes this even even more clear in, in Isaiah chapter one. He says, what to me, is your multitude of sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates them. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When when you spread out your hands, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And so what do you do? What does he want us to do? Here's what he says. Wash yourself. 
Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and and plead the widow's cause. And then here's the promise. He says, come. Now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Your half-hearted sacrifices devoid of real relationship with God are worthless and meaningless. But God says, I want to forgive you. I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I want to know the real you, all of you. Our half-hearted worship is an insult to God, but it also lies to the world. When we claim the name of Christ, when we declare to the world that we're followers of Jesus, but then they look at our worship, they look at how easily we're swayed, how, how quickly they can just move us on to other things, how, how readily we seem to be to jump into their sin with them, they're left to believe that our God must not be all that great. We lead them into a false understanding of the glory of God. We tell them as verse seven says that the Lord's table may be despised. What does the world know about God by watching you live? You are a priest of the most high God. You are charged with telling the world the truth about God. Now, I don't think that any of us in here are going to be the next Jim Jones convincing people to move to South America and drink poisonous Kool-Aid. But we may well, we may well convince them that it really doesn't mean all that much to follow after Jesus. All you have to do is say that you do, and then you are. We may convince them that all it takes for a person to get to heaven is for somebody on earth to love you. I've heard that at plenty of funerals. But listen to God's rebuke of the priest. He says, the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. Our call as the priest of God is to declare the truth of God. In, in what we say and in what we do. And when our, when our vision is filled with the glory of God, we will do just that. We won't alter the message to try to make other people happy. We will preach the truth of God and let God take care of all of the rest of it. We will guard knowledge. We will guard the message of God. And how do you, how do you do that? Well, Again, Mark Micah Fry says that we guard the message of God by giving it away. And we forsake it when we keep it in. Second Timothy 1.14, Paul says that by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How do we guard it? By giving it away, by sharing it with others. If God is really the best, How could we stop? 
How can we stop ourselves from telling everybody about it? Shohei Otani is the best. And a whole bunch of people have his jersey. They want you to know that they believe that he's the best. We give it away. If God's the best, we give him our best. And then we encourage others to do the same. But when we offer these half-hearted sacrifices to the Lord, we tell the world that all he demands is half your heart. When in reality, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And we lie to those who know us best. We lie to those who love us the most. And we keep them from the most important truth they could ever know. That the most glorious God wants a relationship with them. That the most righteous God can make them holy. And that yes, our God is a just God, but he is also the justifier of all those who believe in Jesus. And that if they will just repent and believe in Jesus, they would be granted eternal, abundant life. Our half-hearted worship is an insult to God. It's a lie to the world and it is corrupting and boring us. When your worship doesn't come from a place of being wholeheartedly immersed in the overwhelming glory of God, then it's going to seem like a boring chore. That's what he says in verse 13. The priest, what do they say? What a weariness this is. Worshiping God is exhausting. And it is exhausting if it's empowered by your own strength. And frankly, it's not really worship either. When you aren't actually enamored by the glory of God, you will be easily enamored by something else. And what started out as boredom will begin to give way to corruption. Pastor John Piper says, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy will become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with streetlights. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you will fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasure. When you become so blind that the maker of galaxies, the ruler of nations and the knower of all mysteries, that the lover of your soul becomes boring, then the only thing that is left is the love of this world. Because the heart is restless and it will find its treasure. And if it's not in heaven, then it's on earth. The greatest treasure of all is relationship with our God. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he covered it up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. There's no greater treasure than our God. He is the best. So we should give him our best. And, and the first step in that is just basking in his glory, fixing your eyes on Jesus, setting your mind on the things that are above, filling your vision with the glory of God. And when we do that, 
It will be far easier to obey that command in 1 Corinthians 10, where it says, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It'll be a lot easier to obey Romans 12, which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so what do we offer up to God? Well, everything. He deserves it all. He's worthy of it all. But some of us like clarity, so let me just be clear. That verse in Romans tells us that we offer up our bodies to God. That is, whatever you're doing with your physical body, give it to God. Say, God, I want you in charge of this. I lay down my life that you might raise it up again, that I might be used by you. Philippians 4 says that we need to offer up our finances to God as sacrifice. It says it is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Hebrews 13 tells us to offer up a sacrifice of praise. And then he says all of the good that you do, all of your good works are a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. So friends, Give God the best because he is the best. So give him all of who you are. And as you do, remember this, that he has already given you everything you need. Because truly the the, the best and the greatest sacrifice of all came from God. The best sacrifice is the sacrifice of Christ for sinners like you and me. His sacrifice is the best gift that we have ever been given. And it is the best gift that we can give back to God. It's the only reason that we can stand before God because we are claiming that gift. Hebrews 9 tells us that Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come. And he entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. His sacrifice is the best. And so we join it with our best because our God is worthy of all that we can offer. And even more, he's the best. So give him your best. I'm gonna pray that we would today give him all of ourselves. Let's pray that even now. Would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, you are truly the best that there ever has been. And everything else and everything in all of creation comes forth from you. So we know that when we see something glorious in creation, that it was created by something far more glorious than it. And so we pray that we would not be enamored by the things of this world, but rather that they would all turn our eyes to you, that we would give you praise. Lord, you are the best. Help us to give you our very best. And Lord, we confess that there are, there are places in our lives where we are holding back our best from you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would break those strongholds in our lives. 
that we would offer even that, even those areas of our lives over to you because we want to give you all that we are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.